This is the latest sermon from Redeemer Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but I miss the days of going to a brick-and-mortar shop, trying something on, making a purchase, and leaving with the product in hand day of. It feels like now more and more shopping is going to online um, avenues, and so you order something, and you just never know if it's going to fit. So you're like, am I a large? Am I extra large? Now there's like an in-between between large and extra large. I'm like, I don't know what that is. But um, there are different types of people. Some people order three sizes. You're like, I'm doing this. I'm getting three sizes. I'll, I will return two of them, but I've got my two. Other people, you purchase it. If it fits, great. If it doesn't fit, you have good intentions but it just sits there. Like, you're, like you've lost money. It's gonna, you're like, that's, I gotta find a box and go print off a label. It's just too much. And so it never, 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 nothing's ever done. And then some of you are great. You purchase one thing, exchange, purchase, exchange until you get it right. But we understand what it is to exchange something. Um, during COVID, you know, maybe you bought some fruit that the online grocery pickup order and it comes in and it's like, this fruit doesn't smell great. So you return it. So some things you return that are perfectly fine. Other things you return because they're faulty. Maybe you bought clothing that has a blemish on it, or you bought furniture from Wayfair and it's missing like parts or something. But we understand what it is to receive something and to exchange it for something better or for something that's right or something that fits. Well, today we're going to talk about one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. And it's a verse that has been named or, or often referred to as the great exchange. All right, so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. Real quick, this is a letter written by a guy named Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He began his life um, hating Christians, wanting to wipe Christians off the face of the earth. He encounters Jesus, becomes a missionary, and writes to churches. The particular church he's writing to now I would say it's a messed up church in a messed up town with messed up people. And so he's writing to encourage them to pursue Christ likeness, not to live for themselves, but to live for Christ. And so we're just going to jump into the middle into the middle of this letter, starting in verse 10. As Paul's writing, he says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." All right, so he says that we will all appear before Christ and give an account for the way that we've lived our lives and that we will receive what we have earned. Like whatever we have earned through our lives, we will receive as we stand before Christ. Now, I think a lot of people, you hear that and you think, okay, if my life is in the balance and we're weighing out the good I've done versus the bad I've done, most of us would probably say, I think I'm going to get in. I think I can at least sneak in through the skin of my teeth. Like I've done, I've been more of a good person than a bad person. I mean, look at him. Not like, you know, we have this idea. And the reason we have that thought, the reason we think that we're probably going to be okay is because we have become numb to sin. Um, I would say if, if sin was an odor, if it was a smell, we have become desensitized to it. Um, case in point, um, a couple of years ago, I got a call from someone that we needed to help a lady with her apartment, that her apartment was very unclean, it was unlivable, and they were looking for some people to rally to help deep clean and to get some new furniture. And so we found a new couch, and me and a, a, a buddy were bringing it over to her. And when we got to the house, the old couch was removed. 
It was in the open air by the curb, and you could smell it in the open air. Right? And so as we're walking this new couch into the apartment, we were hit with an odor that I cannot put into words how it smelled, but the guy with me immediately puked. He, lo- he lost it. He, just, he threw up in response to the smell. And what had happened is she had a dog that was soiling this couch. And, um, and so it was, as it would pee on the couch, she would never shampoo it. She would never clean it. She would never let it air out. She would just spray some disinfectant spray on it. And then um, as that couch lived in a constant state of dampness, um, she acquired more pets, more dogs, more cats. And as she was gone for almost the whole day, these animals would just use the bathroom in her house, in her apartment. And over the course of time for her, that smell became normal. She became numb to it. She was desynthetized to it. And so because she didn't understand what her apartment smelled like, she asked me uh, in this moment, she's like, hey, what do you think about my apartment? Because she had no clue that it smelled so bad. And I wonder for us, how often do we live in a world that we're so accustomed to sin? I mean, thousands of generations of sin, 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 a world full of sin. Are we just used to it? Are we just numb to it? If it carried an odor, could we even smell it? But I truly believe that if, if we could walk into our culture, if we could walk into our lives, the room of our lives, with spiritual nostrils that were not desynthetized to the smell, I believe we would puke, right? And so when we think about standing for the judgment seat of Christ, what you need to know, this is, this is the bad news today, what you need to know is this is bad news. When we stand before Christ and receive what we have earned through our lives, it is not good. It is not the eternal presence of God's grace and love. It's the, it's the eternal presence of justice and wrath. So this is the bad news. We're going to start right there. Like Jeff, this feels like a downer for Easter. I thought he has risen, right? There, it gets better, All right? Jump down to verse 14. He continues. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one, that's Jesus Christ, that one has died for all Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that, the, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so in this verse, we see what do we deserve? What have we earned? We have earned death. And so the good news, though, is the judge from verse 10 becomes the savior in verses 14 and 15. So the bad news is we will stand before God. We will give an account for how we've lived our lives, which is bad news. But the good news is that Jesus stepped into history to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved so that we could become alive in him. So this is the good news. The bad news, we will stand before Jesus as judge. The good news, the judge becomes the savior. All right, look at verse 16. He continues. He says, from now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I want you to take note of that word, the flesh, okay? The flesh is the way that the world views things. And so he says, we don't see things the way the world sees it. And so for us, when we think about our lives and how the world sees us, we typically categorize things. We have, you know, we have educated, non-educated, wealthy, unwealthy. We have Democrat, Republican. We have athletic, not athletic. We have different types of classifications. When the world views things, we value stuff like, hey, where did you go to school? What do you do for a living? 
Where do you live? Where do you shop? And those are things that we put value on, right? That's according to the flesh. But God sees things differently, okay? God doesn't see things in the same categories that we do. So back when the Titanic sank, this is a crazy story, um, and I looked it up, like, is this true? I double-checked it. It is true. When the Titanic sank and word got back to England that the ship had sank, right, um, they put different boards up outside of Liverpool. And so I want you to think about this. The type of people that boarded this ship, the, the, the prestige the wealth, the neighborhoods they lived in, the parties they would have frequented, the, the shoulders with which they would have rubbed, all right? The who's who would have been on this ship, all right? But when it sinks, outside of Liverpool, they took two massive chalkboards and had two categories, lost, saved. That's it, lost, saved. It didn't matter who you were when you boarded that ship. It didn't matter how much money you had, how much prestige you carried. It didn't matter who you were. At this point, it only mattered if you were lost, if you were saved, right? Leonardo DiCaprio, totally lost. Kate Winslet, she let go, but she was saved, right? Like, like lost and saved. I say that because for us, what we need to understand is when we view things according to the world, we have all these categories. But if we could see things as God sees it, God sees us and he sees only two options, lost or saved, right? There are those who are sinners. There are those who are forgiven. There are those who are righteous. There are those who are unrighteous. There are those who know Jesus and there are those who don't know Jesus. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are in our society. It doesn't matter how well accomplished you are. It doesn't matter where you went to school, what neighborhood you live in. It doesn't matter how much security you have. It doesn't matter. In God's eyes, you are either those who know Christ and are saved, or you are someone who does not know Christ and you are lost. Okay, so, so continuing on in verses 17, um, he, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is incredible. For those who are in the saved category, he says, you're a new creation. Like the, the old is gone, the new has come. Like you, God has made you new because of your relationship with Christ. Now, you might read this and be like, what does it mean to be a new creation because I gave my life to Christ and I don't look any different. Like, did I get like super strength? I think about Spider-Man, like Tobey Maguire, when, when he gets bit by the spider, like all of a sudden he looks chiseled. I'm like, is that P90X? Like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, and he's climbing on walls. It's like, do we, when we give our life to Christ, do we get new superpowers? No. Like, that'd be cool, but no. What he's talking about when he says that we are a new creation is he, he's talking about how our hearts become reoriented to look like the heart of Christ, okay? And so what it looks like for your heart to be made new, what it looks like for your, your heart to be reoriented, that means that you begin to think like Jesus would think. You begin to feel like Jesus would feel, where, where your heart beats faster for things, your heart aches for things, your fists clench clinches at injustice and unrighteousness, like you begin to feel as Jesus would feel. You begin to do as Jesus would do. You begin to speak as Jesus would speak. And so this reorientation happens when you are in Christ or when you begin a relationship with Jesus. And so he says in verses 18 and 19, he says, all this 
is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What he's saying in these verses is simply this. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. When you think about what does it take for us to be reconciled to God, there is nothing you can do to save yourself. Here's, here's, we're talking about bad news, good news. The bad news is to stand before a holy God, right? To stand before a holy God would require perfection. I don't care how good you are, no one in this room is perfect. To stand before a holy God requires perfection. The good news is that what God requires, he has provided in Christ. What God requires, he has provided in Christ, which means salvation is not about what you can do, but what Christ has done, that he died for your sins and that he rose again. Now, the most important thing I want you to get today the most important thing I want you to grasp and understand is going to be found in verses 20 and 21. So, so let's keep going. Verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, messengers. He said, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, and so this is probably a horrible illustration, but why not try it? Okay, um, in the movie 300, you have King Leonidas, right? And so he is the king over the Spartans. And then you have King Xerxes, the, the king of Persia, who is conquering the world. And at one point, Xerxes sends a messenger to King Leonidas. So this guy rides in on horses. He's carrying skulls. And, and he gets out to talk to King Leonidas. And, and King Leonidas asks him, what, what do you what do you require? What do you want? And he tries to make it sound soft, earth and water, but eventually he, he shows his cards and says, for you to submit. Submission, which is something that doesn't go well with the Spartans, right? And so at one point, like the messenger is backed up to a massive hole and he can tell things are going badly. And he says, choose your words wisely. And his voice changes. You're like, what in the world? Because he is now speaking as King Xerxes, he is a messenger that's carrying the voice of the king, all right? And so why is that a horrible illustration? Because he was a bad messenger. Paul, as an ambassador, is a good messenger for a good God. And so as an ambassador, as a messenger, what he is saying is the gospel demands a response. You have heard the bad news that you will stand before God and give an account for the way that you've lived your life, and you will receive what you have earned if you don't know Jesus, which is death. Okay, the good news is that Jesus, the judge, becomes the savior. He dies the death that you deserve so that he can give you new life. You can either receive that new life or you can reject that life. And that's why he, he, he uses this strong word, we implore. We implore, he says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's saying, choose Jesus. Give your life to Christ. Accept the gospel. Take this good news and embrace it, right? You can either receive the gospel or you can reject it. And so what are we receiving? What are we rejecting? Well, we'll look at verse 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin. What does that mean? It does not mean that Jesus sinned. It means that Jesus took upon himself the consequences and the penalty of our sin upon himself. He took what we deserved and he brought it upon himself. And so when you think about our sin, if God's just, he's loving, which means he extends grace, but he's also just. If God is just towards sin and towards evil, it demands to be punished. It has to be punished. So Jesus steps into our place and he becomes sin in the sense that he says, I'll take all their sin upon myself. And then the wrath of God towards sin, it's like a magnifying glass. Did anybody ever a kid, as a kid, grab a magnifying glass and try to start a fire with leaves? Right? You get the sun and you're like, can I get it on there? Some of you did it to ants. You're like, leaves? I was killing roly polies. Like, I don't know. Like, like, but you can take the power of the sun and you can focus it in on a singular object. And so the wrath of God comes through like the magnifying glass and is singularly focused on his son, Jesus Christ. Right? And Jesus says, I will take, this wasn't like God being some cruel, um, evil dad. Jesus stepped up and raised his hand and says, God, I will do this for them. God, I will take their sins so that they can take my righteousness. I will die the death that they deserve. I will bear the full weight of what it means to be separated from you. I will take that because I love them. And I can't bear the thought of them experiencing that wrath on their own. God, I will take it. And so Jesus stepped in and became sin so that, all right, in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does that mean? The righteousness of God is perfect character and perfect action. Perfect character and perfect action. So that means is when we become the righteousness of God, Jesus gives us his perfect character. Jesus gives us his perfect actions and his perfect morality. And he says, look, God, take all the sin from their account and put it into mine. Put all their sin into my account. I will take that. And all of the wealth, all of my character, all of my righteousness, all of my morality, all of that from my account, put it in theirs. You put it all in theirs. So when you look at them, I want you to see me. God, when, when you look at them, I don't want you to see their sin. I want you to see me. And so that's what's happening. That's why this is called the great exchange. Jesus exchanges his life for ours. He takes our sin upon himself on the cross, and he gifts us. He gives to us his perfect character and his perfect actions that we might be made alive. All right, so when we think about this, you can receive this message. You can receive it by confessing that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, and you can trust the truth that Jesus exchanged his life for yours, and you can be reconciled to God, or you can reject it. You can receive that, or you can reject it. Right, so, so what does that mean for us? Well, there's an old hymn. I, I tried to sing it, but I'd butcher it, and you'd be like, I'm not coming back to that church. Um, but it's, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. You see, without Christ, when God looks at us, two categories, lost, saved. 
Without Christ, when God looks at us, he sees sinners condemned unclean. But with Christ, he no longer sees our sin. He sees his saints who are perfectly reflecting the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we can receive that or we can reject that. Now, there's a, there's a quote by A.W. Tozer where he says, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. And I love that because I think it is so important. Like what comes to our mind when we think about God is absolutely important. But to take it a step further, I would say the most important thing about you is what comes to God's mind when he thinks of you. And so here's the question I want you to wrestle with today for Easter. When God looks at you, what does he see? When God thinks about you, how does he feel? For the Christian, um, I know so many of my friends right now are, are just struggling in their faith. And so if you, were, if you were to talk and say, like, hey, how are you doing? You'd hear words like, I feel distant, I feel discouraged, I feel frustrated, I feel sad, I feel defeated. And so I know a lot of people in the room today are saying, like, I just don't feel like I'm doing that great. And so if I ask you, how does God feel about you? Maybe you're the person today that you're going, it's not good. I don't know, I don't know but it can't, like, he's probably disappointed. He probably feels like I've let him down. He's probably frustrated at me. Like, I, I don't, like it's just not, it's not good. And so I, I want you to feel that. If, if, you, if, you, if you feel like God is disappointed with you today, if you feel like God is frustrated, like, again? If you feel like God is just maybe done like, maybe God's like, you know, I've tried a lot with this one. If, if that's how you feel, I want you to hear the beautiful truth of this verse. The gospel and the great exchange tells a different story. When God sees you and your faith is in Christ, he says, that's my kid. You're, you're my kid. I love you. I'm for you. I will never leave you. I'm not mad at you. I just want you to come home. Like if, 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 if I could tell you as a parent, and if I could speak for other parents in this room, like when your kid is gone, you're, not, you're just like, I want you to come home. I, I want you to know today the gospel tells you that you are loved with a depth, you are loved with an intensity, and a persistence from God that you can never understand and that love will never change, but it is aimed fully at you. That magnifying glass, fully concentrated, singular focus towards you is God's love and God's love alone. God, in all of the intensity of his love, is saying, I love you and I will never leave you. I'll never let you go. And so if you are here today and you are in Christ and you're feeling distant, you're feeling discouraged, you're feeling, you're feeling maybe lost, I'm telling you, today, hear the gospel. God loves you. He's not mad at you, and he just wants you to come home. But what if you're here and you're not a Christian? You're like, my, my parents drugged me here. My friend drugged me here. I got bait and switched. Thought we were getting donuts. And, um, and so I got some coffee. wasn't that good. Um, Think about it like this. On the theme of shopping, um, I, I, I hurt for my mom. Like, she's always like, does he have this? I don't know. Like, Christmas has to be horrible for her. And so, the, so when I get a gift um, for my mom, so often it comes with a gift receipt. 
Like, what if it doesn't fit? What if he has two of these already? Like, what if he just doesn't like it? Like, can he return? Like, and so that gift receipt, what does it allow us to do? So if you buy something for someone and it, you give them the gift receipt, what are, you, what are you giving them the freedom to do? To make the exchange, all right? Well, here's what you need to know. If you're, you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the life that you were given is affected by sin, Okay, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Like, that doesn't mean you're as bad as you possibly could be. Like, when we view you like the world sees things, I'm willing to bet you're, you're great. <laughs> like, love to hang out. Um, but if we could see things as God sees it in those two categories, because your life is affected by sin, you're in the lost column. But the good news is that the life you were given comes with a gift receipt. And today, you can turn that in and exchange the life affected by sin for the life that Jesus gives. If you don't know Jesus today, would you receive the exchange? Would you receive the righteousness of Christ, which is offered to you? God loves you so much, and he wants you to know him through Christ. So if you would, let's, let's, let's close our eyes, and let's, let's take time to respond through prayer. Take a moment and just ask God what he's doing in your heart. Ask God, how's God stirring you right now? Is he bringing some sins to mind that you need to confess? Is he reminding you of his great love? Like, how's God stirring within you right now? If you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say it in your own words and in your heart. But if you've never trusted Jesus and you want to receive eternal life today, pray this prayer. God, I confess that I have sinned against you. But I believe that you love me. And I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life for me. I believe that Jesus died a sinner's death on the cross for me. And I believe that Jesus rose again. And to the best of my ability, through your help, I want to live my life for you from this day forward. If you're here today and, and you feel distant from God, um, I want to invite you to, to pray this prayer. So if you're here and you're saying, Jeff, I've given my life to Christ. I know I'm a Christian, but if you just feel distant, would you pray this prayer? God, I feel so far from you. And I know I need to come home. It feels so hard, though. It sounds so easy, but it feels so hard. I'm struggling to believe that you aren't mad. I feel like I failed you. But God, the gospel says that I'm deeply and forever loved. God, would you help me to come home today? 